I did love bullfights. Hemingway described the artistry of it beautifully, the life and death ballet. After I made last week's podcast on the running of the bulls in Pamplona, I sat and reflected on how I feel about this spectacle now. And I realized that I I love the bulls, their nobility, their strength, the danger they represent to men. But I don't like the bullfights, the violence anymore. They say that 70% of Spaniards don't have any interest in bullfights or bullfighters. We've all changed in the last third of a century, I guess. A quick update on Mama and Razzie. They seem to enjoy the cooler weather. We had our first hard freeze of the season a couple of mornings ago in these mountains. And those goats were incredibly energetic, running up and around their section of the mountain. Razzie has lost many of our finicky eating habits. She and Mama get their first bowl of feed every morning. They get served separately. And Razzie just chows it down. No picking at it anymore. No eating a small portion. She knows that if any is left, Mama will run over and finish it off. They each talk to me as I walk down towards them. They each have a separate goat vocabulary. It's easy to tell them apart. Razzie speaks more, it's louder, and she repeats herself frequently. When she stands at the top of the ridge and calls at me, I can hear her clearly from my home, 200 yards away. My thanks again to Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts and our thanks to you for buying our soaps. I'm amazed about where some of these orders come from and from people we don't know, never heard of. It's great. I make the soap, you buy it and enjoy it, and that makes it possible for me to continue with these podcasts. Please use discount code STORIES15 for your 15% discount. And you can use this discount again and again. When I left you last week, we had just headed back to Madrid from Pamplona. I'll pick up this story from there. I got back to Madrid and resumed my life as an expat. Not as exciting as Hemingway's in Paris, but I enjoyed it every bit as much and I don't drink as much as he did. My days were divided between teaching several classes of English and my own studies of Spanish. I continued reading and socializing with my numerous acquaintances in coffee shops and bars. My Spanish had improved sufficiently that I no longer relied mostly on drunks to converse with. I told you that Maria had her sister living in Madrid to pal around with. This was good for me as her sister Claudia had a boyfriend whom she got engaged to. The man's name was Gilberto and he was from Paraguay. He worked in the hotel industry for a major Spanish chain called Melia in Madrid. He was not only a good guy, but best of all, he spoke almost no English and had no desire to do so. Thus, he was an excellent companion for me as it helped my Spanish out very much. And when he was with... Maria and Claudia, they spoke Spanish to him too, so it helped my Spanish. So Beto, as we called him, loved to eat as much as I did, and we spent countless hours drinking coffee and cruising the tapas bars. My six-month period to learn Spanish had come and gone, but I still had much more to do. 
Maria and I sat down one day to discuss our plans. Your Spanish is pretty good, said Maria. Are you ready to go back to the States? Yeah, it's better, but I'm not yet happy with it. I need more time and more study. Now, the University of Madrid offered classes for foreigners in Spanish language, grammar, and literature, and I'd take advantage of several of these, but I needed more time and more practice. And I wasn't ready to go back to the States. That would mean I'd have to get serious with my life, get a real job. I wasn't ready for that. So we agreed to stay a while longer. I heard about this company from Sevilla, Seville, in Andalusia. It was a language institute. They had a sweet contract with a large Spanish company called Las Minas de Rio Tinto. It operated the largest pit copper mine in the world and needed to teach its executives and mid-level managers English. The owner of this company called Eurolinguas, Eurolinguas, Eurolanguages, Miguel, was looking for someone to move to Rio Tinto and teach English. So I got a hold of him and we sat down together a few days later when he was in Madrid, in Spain, and reviewed my curriculum vitae, also called a CV. That's a European equivalent of a resume. So I reviewed that with him. He liked what I had done and we hit it off. So he explained about Rio Tinto. It was a site in the middle of nowhere on the river Rio Tinto. It's named that because the water has flowed red since mining began there about 5,000 years ago. It's been mined since 3000 BC for copper, gold, silver, and other minerals. And the area's been mined by Iberians, Tartessians, Phoenicians, Greeks, Romans, Visigoths, and Moors. It sounds like a world history of groups of peoples operating these mines. So the Spanish government began operating them in 1724. But Spain's mining operations were inefficient. And in 1873, it decided to auction off the mines. The Rio Tinto Company was the highest bidder and took over operations. Their bid specified that Spain would permanently relinquish all rights to claim royalties on the mine's productions. Now, RTZ, as this company was also called, ran this area as if it were a colony of England. Its nationals lived in a walled-off community. It had its own church, tennis courts, and this lasted for about three-fourths of a century. Spaniards hated it. By the 1950s, Franco's Nationalist government made it increasingly difficult for these foreigners to exploit the Spanish resources. And starting in 1954, RTZ began to divest all of its Spanish operations. And Miguel looked at me. You with me? Yeah, it's quite a long story to explain a job teaching English, I said. Yes, I realize that, but you need to hang with me before you decide on this job. Okay, go on. Now, the Spanish government took over these mines again, but they weren't much better at managing them than they'd been 75 years before. They didn't have skilled geologists, mining engineers, mechanical engineers, environmental engineers, and so on. Spain had not spent energy in teaching English. In fact, it made it difficult to learn English. So its professionals were at a disadvantage 
in the worldwide competitive environment. So they had to hire a number of consultants, many of them who worked for RTZ, the same company that they threw out 20 years ago. Ironic, isn't it? Yeah, it seems pretty strange. And now the company is trying to catch up. They have a contract with me to teach executives, senior and mid-level managers English. And that's why I need you. Okay, tell me more about the job. Well, you'll teach four hours of classes in the evenings after they finish work, five days a week. There is a group of wives of senior management who will pay you on the side to teach them English. You don't need a work permit to work for me. I pay in cash under the table. You'll get regular paid holidays, Christmas, Easter, and August off paid in the summer. The mining company gives you an apartment rent-free. Your wife can get a job part-time teaching English at the public school if she wants. It's a small town, a company town, good people. Life is not expensive. I can pay you well because they pay me well. It's not far from Sevilla, Granada, Cordoba. You can see much of Spain. He said how much a salary was. More than reasonable for Spain. I'll give you a one-year contract. You succeed and you can stay as long as I have my contract. Well, I need to talk to my wife. When do you need me? I need you there ready to work in a month on October the 1st. Okay. We agreed to meet the next morning for breakfast. I went home. I sat down with Maria, told her of the conversation and the offer. He's going to pay you that much? Holidays and vacation? No rent? That's right. Where is this place, Rio Tinto? Well, it's in Andalusia. It's not far from Sevilla. How big is it? Well, it had about 3,000 people, but I didn't tell her that. It's big enough, I think. Does it have a corte inglés? Now, corte inglés was the big Spanish department store. Their equivalent of Target. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Well, what does it have going for it? I told her, I get paid in cash, no taxes, paid vacation, free rent. I could study Spanish. She could work if she wanted and get paid in cash or not work. Ah, all of a sudden it seemed better to her. Another thing that made it positive was that her sister was leaving Madrid. She just got married to Beto and he got promoted to another Melia hotel in the city of Valladolid north of Madrid. So Madrid would be lonely for her without her sister around. I told her we needed to be there by the end of the month. And she said, okay, let's do it. So we packed up. You remember the crate I'd had made in San Francisco and shipped over? Well, it had got there. So I got it and I packed it up again. The mining company had a residence house made to feed and house VIPs and consultants when they were in town. So we stayed there at the start for a while until the apartment was cleaned out and ready. Nice room we had. They fed us three meals a day. Good food. Spanish typical food. It had a full-time manager. Her name was Alicia. She took good care of us and really wanted to practice her English. And she needed a lot of practice. Bless her heart. She said she'd be in my English class with the senoras. I told her I couldn't wait. 
So we didn't start school for a week, and we got situated. The town was old, a real company town. A big difference here was a neighborhood called Bella Vista, beautiful view. It resembled a walled, small town, an English town. It had been built by RTZ for its English and Australian employees. It had a big club building and houses, like a village and a church and tennis courts. There were no Spaniards. None of them lived there, or they even went in unless they were there to work as hired help, or they were personally invited in to visit somebody. Now, the company executives and long-term consultants live there. The company had built a three-story building of apartments on a hill on the edge of town. It was surrounded by pine trees, and thus they called it Los Pinos. The building was built for teachers at the public school, and that's where we live. I found my classroom and office in a standalone building about one minute's walk from the apartment. Not too shabby, I said to myself. It was set up so that all mid and senior management of the company, all men, would have regular English classes. They were required to attend every day after work. There were four classes, each at a different level of English language skills. First advanced and down to what they call low intermediate. Each group would change class time every week. So the first class would begin at 6, then it would be one at 7, 8, and the last one at 9 o'clock. Class over at 10 p.m. That was Monday to Friday. So one week of class would be at 6 to 7 and change every week. I must remind you that Franco was still alive at this time. And this was a very closely controlled state. I won't say a police state, but it wasn't far off. There were two security forces in Spain under Franco. The oldest was the Guardia Civil, the Civil Guard. They were responsible for security in rural areas. You might recognize them by their tricornio hat, called a tricorn. They lived in garrisons with their families and always patrolled in pairs. They were never a part of the community and would be regularly transferred to different towns in different parts of the country so they wouldn't form bonds with anyone. You'd never engage a member of the Guardia Civil in conversation. At most, buenos dias, senores, you'd say as you go by, or buenos tardes, that's it. When you'd arrive at a town, you'd see a guard post and frequently a pair of civil guards watching you closely as you drove in. They were extremely loyal to Franco and the regime. Now, the other force were the grises, or greys, and this was la policia armada, the armed police. This was also formed by the Franco state at the end of the Civil War to enforce, really, to enforce repression of any opposition to the regime. Its name, they're called grises because they wore a gray uniform. It was a very effective force for internal security duties in the large cities. When I was in Spain, it had a reputation as a ferocious corps. Now, both forces became notorious in the time of Franco for their ruthless methods and their widespread human rights abuses, beatings, torture, commonplace. You couldn't really just push them out of your mind because you'd see them on foot patrolling almost every day even in a town as small as Rio Tinto. So, 
I got my classroom set up, got my class rosters, learned how to use a rudimentary audio system that they all seem to love. These classes have been taking place for two years, so I expected some degree of English language skills, even in the lower level classes. Well, I was a little disappointed. I brought my first class to order, saw that we were still in the elementary level course. There were mostly low-level managers from the mining company. They didn't have university experience and really didn't need English skills that often. And they weren't excited about spending a part of every evening of every day in a classroom with a guy like me. They liked it when I sent them to the tapes to listen to phrases and repeat them. Listen and repeat them. Not a lot of thinking there. They struggled with the change in the style of class from the earlier instructor, a guy named Ugo, and me. Now, one of the students, Jesus, came early to class the next day and he wanted to speak to me. Mr. Johnson. No, not John, Mr. Johnson. Ernesto. Okay, Ernesto. He told me they were going on the following Saturday on a bird hunt. That I want to come. It would be fun, he said. Salimos a las seis, el sábado, six o'clock in the morning. Okay, sure. Do I need a gun? No, no guns. No guns. So that Friday, I went to bed after dinner, after my last class, early, and I was up and ready at six. Two cars drive up soon after that. We all say hello, pats on the back, buenos dias, buenos dias, six of them all in that same class with Jesus, and none of them with many English skills. So we drove off in the country. It was actually all country around Rio Tinto. And we stopped at a cafe for a coffee. And yeah, of course, coffee and a quinientos uno. Quinientos uno is a, the most popular Spanish brandy from Jerez. So we drank our brandy, then the coffee, and I tried to get them to tell me about the hunt. I have no shotgun, I said to him. Oh, they laugh. You don't need a gun. You'll see. We had a second brandy, yeah, for the road, and they were all excited to show me the hunt. So we got to our destination in the middle of a pine forest, and we grabbed some wood and built a campfire. For breakfast, one of our favorites, said Jesus, sardinas. Sardinas? Sardines? I thought thinking of those tins of small fish, you know, packed in oil. Yes, sardinas a la plancha, grilled sardines. Now, it turns out the Mediterranean sardines are commonly about eight inches long, and they eat them fresh. And they're frequently cooked on the grill, not only in Spain, but in France. And someone had decorked a bottle of red wine, and we sat down, and they grilled these sardines took them off. You pull the meat off. They were delicious. Turned out to be really good. So we're eating those things, licking our fingers, and we finish, drink some coffee, have another quinientos uno. Then we got ready for the caza, the hunt. But it was not like a hunt that I expected. Someone went to the trunk of a car, brought out a small cage, and took out a small yellow and black bird looked like a canary. They tied it up with a string right above the bottom of its foot, a string to its leg, tied it to a stake. And uh, you see, we don't kill these birds with guns. They fly to us. 
said Jesus. I still didn't get it. So they arranged nets around the bird. These nets were held up by several sticks and cords at the bottom went to a couple of different guys standing around. And uh, they throw some seeds down around this bird's feet and told me, okay, get out of sight and watch, be quiet. So I kneel down behind a bush and I'm watching, I'm watching. And all of a sudden this bird starts singing. I mean, singing, happy as if nothing was out of the ordinary. I mean, here this bird is tied to a post with a bunch of big old humans staring at it. And it's singing happily, happily, tweeting, singing. Then a bird just like it flew down to visit, I guess. Then another and another. And they're all eating seed and talking around. And some start singing. And there were maybe six or eight of these birds down there. They pull their sticks. Net comes down. They reach in, they grab the trap birds, and they wring their necks. They throw them in a pile. Man, I'm a little shocked. What would come after this songbird massacre? Well, they set up the nets again, threw some more seeds down. We all get behind bushes, and we wait. That goofy bird started singing again, happy as, well, I guess happy as a canary. And we repeated the whole process. So once we got in a small pile of these birds, we started the next phase of our expedition. Jesus says, paella. I go, paella? Yes, real authentic paella made in the country over a campfire. So out came this big paella pan, onions, chorizo, which is the great Spanish sausage cut into slices, garlic, a bag of bomba rice, and soon the open pan was boiling on the fire. Now, we clean the birds, pull off the skin, and clean them out. And these birds get thrown in the paella pan with everything else. And uh, I guess it was about 40 minutes later, it's ready. We dug in. Oh, my. Just suck the meat off the bones, said Jesus. Or you can chew the bones. Doesn't matter. The key is the rice. Bomba rice, real Spanish rice from Valencia. So we ate and we drank wine and we ate. And they said, you can't get a better bird paella anywhere. I didn't even know they had bird paellas. And you know, it was true. Yes, yeah, songbird paella. It was late when we finally got home and Maria had been afraid I'd been shot. Now I told her not shot. The worst thing that could have happened to me would be I'd be stuck in a net or roll over in the campfire. The paella was excellent. The companionship was excellent. And it was all a big intensive Spanish class for me because these men had no desire to speak English. It'd be too much work. Thank God I had Sunday to rest up before my second week of classes. Now you'd think living in a town in the middle of nowhere with 3,000 people would be boring. But... Uh, we're going to have to wait till next week because we're out of time. Thanks, Anashira. This great company sponsors my podcast. No demands, no direction, no censorship. What else could a man ask for? Anashira doesn't get upset when I miss my deadline by a day, uh, like today. So do yourself a favor. Buy a couple of bars of your favorite Anashira soap. My best customer, Pam 
asked me in a note on Facebook about the new scented soap that I talked about a couple months ago. Yeah, Pam, I haven't forgotten that. Well, the new soap is still in development. I know what I want. I've been tweaking the mix of scent essences and oils, and I will have it out for all of you by your Christmas shopping. Thanks for listening. Join me next week for my next adventures in Andalusia in my stories from Anashiri.